discover Hey sister Know the water sweet But blood is thicker Welcome to the Reform Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother? I'm going to have a brother? <laughs> I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. What's going on, Jesse? Tony, it is officially in Pennsylvania groundhog season, or as I guess some people affectionately call them here, whistle pigs. Oh, man, whistle pigs. You've had some issues with the whistle pigs, haven't you? We have basically a whistle pig community where we live. And it's been crazy because we discovered this past year that what they really love to do is crawl up inside the car, like behind the engine block and just hang out and snack on all the wire coverings, which of course like destroys the electrical system. So man, yeah, it's been an adventure. We have this giant, uh, huge Nate groundhog that lives under the shed behind the church. And every year we think that maybe he moved away or got killed or something. There's a part of me that's kind of waiting for the smell to come out from underneath the shed when like he starts to thaw out. But then just when I think that he's probably dead, he lumbers his way out. And last year we threw a big onion out there and he ate it. And I was like, man, I bet that whistle pig has some nasty breath. <laughs> he ate a whole onion? He did. Just grabbed it? Yeah, he just gnawed on it like it was an apple. Listen, these things are strange creatures because... They are ferocious if you corner them. So oh, one yeah. time when we came home, we have we have two vehicles and one was left parking in front of our place. We came home and my wife saw a groundhog run and eat the car. And when we pulled in, she said, oh, I think it's gone now. And I said to her, but did you see it leave the vehicle? And she was like, I don't think so. So I, I jump underneath the car and it just popped right up into the engine. So we popped the hood and its butt was like sticking out behind the engine. So I ran and got a broom. <laughs> And uh, I poked it, and this thing spun around on me with a look that was like, come at me, bro. Yeah. So, like, I started pushing it with the broom handle, and it was, like, gnawing on the end of that they're, thing. They're scary. It took us, yeah, it took us 20 minutes to get it out. Yeah, they're real scary. I would just go straight for the pepper spray. It was, ah, that's a good call. We didn't have any at the time, but, yeah, they're they're absolutely wild. So, the problem was we thought maybe there was, like, a couple of these things that obviously would, they were sharing the word, like, hey, if you want a wire buffet... <laughs> You want to check out this this car. It's fantastic. So I figured there were a couple. And finally, we were able to work with our landlord to get some traps set up. They caught 54 groundhogs oh last year. Oh, my goodness. On this property. that That is like a whole groundhog megachurch somewhere underneath our building. That's crazy. Have you ever read the book Watership Down? No. Okay, is it so about groundhogs? No, I, it's, I'm sure it's one of those like um, it's like one of those political um, allegories, like uh, animal form kind of. But it's these rabbits who leave their warren, which is like a like a like a commune of rabbits, I guess. And they move away because one of them has a vision. It's like this weird thing. And then they go to war with this other one. But that's what it reminds me of. It's like this commune of woodchuck or of uh, gophers or groundhogs living under that hill outside your building 
Yeah, they're crazy. They're absolutely crazy. Like they're bold. They're brave. They will climb trees. <laughs> really? And, <laughs> That's yeah, terrifying. I've, I've seen them in trees. Yeah, this is somebody. Somebody make a movie about this. I can give you so much material for so many scenes. They're absolutely crazy. You know, most people will come in like bomb them. Like they'll throw the little like smoke bombs underneath yeah. the ground. But I was talking to like a groundhog expert, I guess, the guy who came to kind of like get a sense for the problem. And he explained to me like they usually they have a whole network of tunnels, of course, but they're very intelligent and they always build like multiple escape routes. So yeah. all I can think of is like we're throwing the bombs down there and they're just like they just leave laughing like they're come back. They're army crawling out. We're trying to smoke them out and they're just running into the other direction. Man, they're terrifying. I watched uh, there was that old show. I don't know. Maybe it's so long, but the turtle man or whatever. And he was kind of like a redneck animal hunter. Oh, yeah. And he, yeah. he said that like one of the most terrifying things he ever has to do is get a wood, uh, a woodchuck or a groundhog out of uh, like out of a building because they'll like bite your finger right off. Just like straight. Just snap it right off if you're not careful. So like he has like these big chainmail gloves that he has to wear when he tries to catch a gopher. It's like he's fighting a shark, but it's a it's a gopher. It's There's crazy. Seriously crazy animals and what's all the more troubling is their young are kind of cute honestly so yeah. like when they're running around they're really cute but we've tried to lure them i don't know what actually does it like we've tried to put all kinds of stuff out i haven't tried to onion obviously yeah and that's probably my problem they like celery we also threw a big piece of celery out there we had like old celery that wasn't rotten but it wasn't really like anything you'd want to eat anywhere not that you ever really want to eat celery and he was sitting out there chewing on it and it looked like he had a big cigar in his mouth and the other thing that's done, this one, it's he must have like a like an easy like a lazy boy under there because he's like the laziest uh, gopher woodchuck or whatever I've ever seen. Is you know that ramp that goes into the the shed that yeah. you use to get the lawnmower out? He'll get out there and he'll like lay on the thing like on his back and like sunbathe on the thing. He's living that whistle pig dream. And the craziest thing is like we don't live in an area where there aren't predators, right? We have a giant fox that lives in the backyard and then our neighbor has these giant like 120 pound dogs and we have a dog. Not, I mean, our dog would get chewed up alive by one of these things, but um, but there's predators around and this thing just lays out in the sun and just wanders around. He's just not. Yeah. He's like, I don't even care. I'm, I'm, I'm the king of the castle here. Yeah. yeah. He's got the high life. Well, that's good to know because- Last year, we tried to lure them out with a bran muffin with peanut butter on it. I don't know. That just seemed to me like the thing. I didn't know I didn't know their fiber situation, so I thought maybe they'd be attracted <laughs> to this, but it didn't didn't work at all. Yeah, they don't need the fiber, I don't think. Yeah. You might I mean, catch like only... an old man, though. He's walking. I was like, oh, bran muffin. <laughs> 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 he bends down. He gets caught in the trap, and he's like, oh, what happened? <laughs> uh, best impression of an old groundhog being caught yes. in a trap goes to no no you, i mean like an old man like a regular old man <laughs> like one of your neighbors <laughs> that's even better yeah that's even better yeah if you live near near me never pick up a bran muffin especially one spread with peanut <laughs> butter because you you don't know what's going to be the other, yeah. other end of that bad boy all right so what are we talking about tonight jesse well the only thing in my mind at least more terrifying than whistle pigs in your car chewing it up is this problem of hypocrisy. And it's something I've just been thinking a little bit about recently as I've been going through the scriptures, partly because some of my favorite things that Jesus says are directed at the Pharisees and are pointed toward hypocrisy, but also because just recently I came across this quote from George Whitfield, which I think is kind of apropos for where society is at right now with, with all the confrontation we want to take against what's happening politically or in our cultural climate. And he said this, the sins of the church are far more offensive to God 
than the sins of the nation. And it just kind of caused me to kind of take a step and look, take a step back and look, look inward. So yeah. I wanted to kind of talk about hypocrisy more than just that we know it's not doing what you say or, you know, going against the things that you say, not living in that kind of way. But I wanted to kind of get a more, more into like a deeper perspective of what that means. Yeah. Um, so I guess the best place is like, even from like a historically reformed perspective, like how would you define or explain hypocrisy? Yeah. So I think that there are different ways to be a hypocrite. So um, one way would be like having a different standard for other people than you do for yourself. And that can even come out in the form of like the way you argue theology. So I was having an interaction with someone online the other day. They were taking exception with the fact that I had made a, a sort of a critical statement about a theologian that they liked. And they basically said something like, you shouldn't, you know, you're not really in a position to be able to assess someone else's theology. And, you know, you really should speak kinder about their errors than you do. And, you know, my thought is like, well, why don't you tell that to the Apostle Paul? Right. He I mean, he right. just just brutally, honestly eviscerated people when they had theology to a certain degree that was errant. And then later in the conversation, um, you know, he was trying to say, well, maybe we should just take the good and leave the bad. And he's like, just like Paul did in Athens. And so I said, well, that's kind of a hypocritical argument because you want to you want me to emulate Paul in this way. But then in this other way, when I'm emulating Paul. You know, so that's kind of a hypocritical way to argue where you have a different standard when you're forwarding your argument and you're not able to hold yourself to that standard. And for me, that's really where it gets to for all of this stuff, right? If I'm a hypocrite, if I tell someone you really shouldn't, um, you really shouldn't swear. And then I swear like that's hypocritical because I'm holding someone else to a standard that I don't hold myself to. For sure. And it is like a uniquely religious word, right? I mean, we can't, we often will use it in a kind of secular sense to talk about somebody who just doesn't behave in a way that is consistent with either their own beliefs or what they say. But we are generally speaking about religion when we use it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it gets used elsewhere, but not, not to the same extent. So I like what you said because that's where I'm kind of been drawing into this idea of it being like a heart issue. So if a, the heart of hypocrisy, at least to me, is hypocrisy in the heart. Right. And we're all born legalists, but we're made into Pharisees. And that's the thing that I want to avoid doing because the Pharisees were just really good, informed legalists. Yeah. So it's this idea that, you know, hypocrisy surfaces most visibly with a contradiction in somebody's practice. But it's born with an absence of conviction in the heart. Yeah. yeah. And I, I find that really interesting. That's so like when, for instance, just to talk about this being a conversation among the family of God in the church of God. So everybody kind of pulling up stools and having a family meeting, so to speak. You know, I guess by way of prolegomena, what I want to say is that, you know, hypocrisy is a club that not only everybody is welcome to, but everybody is a member and we all meet on the Lord's Day at church. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like I, I'm a hypocrite in many things that I do. And, I, and I'm nervous that because I want to expose that stuff. And when I look at, especially like Luke chapter 12, like the culmination of Jesus' teaching where he says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So if he's saying like, you cannot hide what is inside your heart, the real you, your true identity must necessarily come out. So the Pharisees, they're trying to expose Jesus. They fail. And then just like Jesus always does, he flips it around and explains that hypocrites cannot hide in their pretending, their posing, or their presenting a life with no conviction in the heart. Yeah. So all of that stuff, like you just said, is to me this heart issue of hypocrisy. And I, I think it, we don't often talk about this just among as brothers enough to I don't, kind of understand. I mean, like, I can't tell you when the last time I was, I said, I went to somebody, even my wife, and said, would you make me aware of someplace where I'm being hypocritical, but yeah. it's probably something 
that we should consider doing. Yeah. And I mean, if you if you did that with anyone who knows you well, they'd be like, all right, let me tell you 10 things that are immediately on the top <laughs> of my mind of ways that you've been a hypocrite in the last hour. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, sure. we're constantly doing it, right? We have, we have this propensity to, um, and I'm not exactly sure why, but we have this propensity to always see the sin in another person, but be incredibly blinded to the sin in our own lives. Um, you know, we're, we're very quick to recognize what's going on. And this, even just beyond the concept of sin, like we're very quick to see something in another person, um, that is also present in us, but not be aware of that same thing. Um, and I think that as Christians really, you know, we had our episode on mortification, um, really a part of mortification. I think probably the first step of mortification is understanding your own sinfulness, Right. You can't kill your sin if you don't recognize what it is, just like you can't kill the whistle pig if you don't see it and know what it is. That is for sure. I, I thought we would figure out a way to loop the whistle pig into the actual conversation. So yeah, that's great. I'd, I'd like to hold up the whistle pig as an anthropomorphism of hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're I think that'd bad. be great. Yeah. And this is where I, I was eager to talk to you, honestly, because I wanted to kind of move beyond just we know hypocrisy is is play acting, even in the in its root of the word, we understand something right. about presenting a false front of something that's who you are, feigning some kind of behavior. But what I'm worried about in the Christian life and the Christian walk in particular about taking that seriously is I suppose there's like gross hypocrisy whereby men are pretending to be good, but they recognize that they're not. Right. But the more dangerous one, in my opinion, would be something like formal close hypocrisy where we're deceiving ourselves and others and we don't even realize it yeah. where we don't even realize that we're hypocrites or there are pockets in our life where we're, we're doing it that way. Yeah. I found it really interesting in some, some article, which unfortunately I can't um, give you the exact title, but that John Popper, John Popper, John Piper. <laughs> <laughs> we have a bunch of covenanter listeners that are like, yeah, get them. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was so, that was definitely not a Freudian slip, even though I said it twice. Oh my gosh! Uh, at first, um, I was like John Popper, who's that guy? Yeah, John. You know, the uh, he's he's the other John Piper. Yeah. Um, he so he defined or I coined a definition for hypocrisy that was the conviction that law keeping is the ground for our acceptance with God, a failure to be amazed at grace. And I find that interesting. And I, I think probably there are plenty of places where in my life where that's true. You know, some of these like quintessential verses when we think about, well, this is Jesus addressing hypocrites, especially like Matthew 21 or where he goes into the temple, he's flipping over and he's driving out the money changers. And he says the thing about my house should be called the house of prayer, but you made a den of robbers. You know, what's interesting about that statement is like, a okay, just like whistle pigs. Okay. So check, we're going to go all the way with this, Tony. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that back in. It's going to be excellent. So a whistle pig den is not the place where whistle pigs go to conduct their business. So when the whistle pig wants to find food, it wants to provide for its family, it wants to do what it was made to do, it goes to my vehicle and eats and then goes back to its den. So the den is the place where it relaxes, where it chills out, where it hides. Right. So the den of robbers is not a place where people are going to actually rob, but it's a place where they're hiding out with that behavior under the pretense that they're actually doing something good. I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, a lot of times to kind of go back to the mortification thing is a huge part of mortification is just being aware of sin. 
And right. a huge part of hypocrisy is just being blinded to sin and particularly to the sin in your own life. And I think that's why it's so dangerous is because it's, it really is a matter of a lack of self-awareness, right? You, you probably, it's not the case that most people consciously think I'm going to have this standard for them and I'm not going to have for them or consciously think, I know that I struggle with that same sin, but I'm going to call them out for it, even though I know I struggle with it. Most of the time, it's the case that you see a sin in someone else. And actually, you probably sort of instinctively recognize that sin in yourself, but you cover it up. So pride is also at the root of hypocrisy is, you know, that the passage with the the, um, tax collector and the Pharisee, right? The tax collector goes forward and he stands up tall and, and kind of elevates himself and says, thank God I'm not like that guy. Right. Right. Well, you are like that guy. That's the first problem. And in fact, you're worse than that guy. Cause not only are you just as bad of a sinner and doing all the things that you're, you're accusing him of, but you're also ignorant of it and proud and boastful in your sin. Um, and I think that that's really where hypocrisy gets us is it causes us to kind of revel in our sin. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. It's definitely, a deeply rooted thing that I think we often think is just something that kind of grows out and becomes an an outward symbol of some kind of bad behavior, but it's more than just behavioral modification, of course. And it's regeneration, but almost like it requires, I like to think like, of course, we're regenerated by God's good grace. And then in through, through sanctification, there's this constant renovation. Like it's not a a regeneration again, regeneration, if you will, but it's like God continuing to say, let's tear down the cabinets of the kitchen in your heart. Right. put something else up that's new and yeah. better and that needs to continue to happen. Um, so it, it's a long journey, but what I like about what you said that makes me think is I'm sometimes worried quite honestly in my life that there's a lot of wonderful things that we read in the scripture that we identify with by intellectual assent, or at least I do. So for instance, we're seeing God's power displayed throughout the entire counsel of God, but especially in the old Testament as he's interacting with his people but what I'm sometimes fearful of is I need to be asking, how do I know that power? How do I know these characteristics of God? How do I stay away from hypocrisy when if all of my knowledge of those things are just by way of reading and studying and I don't know them in my own life, yeah. that I haven't drawn close enough to God, submitted to him in such a way, yielded under his loving kindness, where I'm actually experiencing that same power. So it's a bit like the difference of if, if we asked anybody who's listening to close their eyes and describe their living room, there's no doubt that people will be able to do that with amazing precision. Right. And yet they didn't know the question was coming. We didn't say we're going to give you a test. They know it well because they're in that space, because they live and breathe and move among that little swatch of geographic place. Right. And they're intimate with it. And that's the way I want to know God, not just by the book, but through the book and right. an experience through his love. So for me, you know, I'm worried that I have a formal closed hypocrisy because there may be there are plenty of places where I'm not blind. And so I'm trying to kind of, you know, work through how do we do that in our marriages? How do we do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church? How do we do that with our elders to get in such a place where we can be open enough with one another to say, you know, you say you believe this, but I see this part of your life where it doesn't seem to match up. Yeah. And, and that's a tough thing, I think. Yeah. And I think, too, um, you know, I'm thinking, trying to think through why is it particularly that hypocrisy is the sin that destroys our testimony before mm. unchristians 
non-Christians uh, almost more than anything else. Yeah, uh, right on. You know, when you're when you're rude to somebody or when you publicly sin, they're not pointing at that sin particularly and saying that's why I don't believe in Jesus. They're pointing at the hypocrisy. Um, you know, whether it's a, a high-profile leader that commits adultery or embezzles money or whatever, they're not saying, well, look at that guy. He's such an adulterer. They're saying, well, he's such a hypocrite. And I think right. I think that what it is, is they're identifying this mismatch between how you're believing and how you're behaving and what you're believing. And so they look at it and instead of saying their behavior is out of alignment with what they really believe, what they're saying is their your behavior is betraying what you really believe, which is different than what you say. So when we're a hypocrite, what we say to the world is, I don't really believe that that sin is really sinful. I don't really believe that Jesus really died for my sin because I don't really believe I'm a sinner because I don't really think that the sins are that bad. And so I think that's part of why it's so destructive. And I guess the question I'm trying to wrestle through in my own head is maybe they're a little bit right. Maybe they're a little bit right yeah, that it amen. is um, a lack of belief on our part that causes this hypocrisy to sort of fester in our hearts. It's sort of like a core, like a seed of disbelief that, that remains somehow after, you know, in the midst of our um, sanctification that hasn't quite um, been snuffed out yet. Amen. And that's painful because they're, they're right. I mean, it, and that's where I, I really struggle with this line between we know that we're still sinful creatures. We know that we're battling the flesh, right. even as we have been changed in Christ and raised up with him. And we know that people who are not part of the family of God will occasionally see us in that battle and will see us lose that battle. Yeah. But how do we at the same time maintain that testimony and not make you know hypocrisy be the hurdle which prevents any one person from coming to Christ uh, as he draws them? That's a really tough thing. And I don't like that. You know, Jesus is basically saying, you know, all those really cliche statements that are, are probably true about, you know, you are who you are when you're in private. Right. And, you know, when Jesus is saying nothing is covered up, that will be not that won't be revealed. And yet, of course, he's speaking in such a grand way that he's already aware of, of who we are intimately, the, the quality of our character that we display in public is, of course, not the one that he sees. He either sees through it or he sees that as, to, as the true thing. But that thing is like tremendously scary to me. Yeah, it's really scary. Uh, and so I just want to make sure that, you know, we take that seriously, we process through that. You know, it's really interesting. Um, spoiler alert for anybody who is interested in seeing the movie The Circle. Um, I went and saw it today. And, and a lot of these themes actually come through in that movie. Really? So, yeah. So um, are you planning on seeing the movie? Because I don't want to ruin anything for you. Uh, no, just go ahead and hit me. Okay. I'm excited about this. So now. spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear it, then turn the podcast off and come back in like 15 minutes. Um well, if you turn the podcast off and come back, then it's going to be in the same spot. It'll Anyways, be in the same spot. <laughs> you all know what I mean. Um, in the movie, Emma Watson um, from Harry Potter fame, um, she gets a job at the equivalent of Facebook. This movie is basically one big slam on Facebook. And she's in this company called The Circle. And this company is like a, a social media network, but it also is kind of vacuuming up all of these data points on everything. Um, when she gets there, she goes, she does like a health intake and she drinks this liquid and she is told after she drinks the liquid that it's actually like a biometric sensor that's going to track all of her biorhythms and, and all of her respiration and everything. And it's going to upload it to the cloud. 
And so she starts to get kind of disillusioned by this. And a friend of hers who kind of lives off of this, off the grid in terms of like social media confronts her on it and basically says like, do you recognize what you're doing? And so she, she goes out and she has this event happen where she suddenly realizes that she is not her best, her best self in private. And so she agrees to wear a camera that's going to record every step she takes, every moment of the day, except when she's in the bathroom. It's going to record everything and it's going to broadcast it to everybody on the circle, which is like everybody think about broadcasting everything you do every moment of the day to Facebook, like Facebook Live to everybody. Um, And what you see, and it's really interesting because she thinks that. You know, the reason she she stole a kayak and paddled out into the middle of the bay and almost drowned was because no one was looking. And when someone is looking, she's going to be better than that. But what you see is that all of a sudden she has to put on a happy face. She has to present herself as someone she's not. So when she wants to go and cry, she has to pretend to go to the bathroom and the, the camera will turn off for three minutes when she's in the bathroom. So there, I mean, the, the movie has some weird twists and turns, but it's this really interesting critique on the fact that presenting our best selves to the world is inherently hypocritical because we tend to push down the negative things like our sadness or our frustration or our anger. We push those down and we ignore them. Um, so it's just a really interesting thought. And um, we went and saw the movie with mom and dad and they, we come out and she has a line in there where she says something like um, everyone will be better when nobody is hiding. And mom said, well, isn't that, isn't that the case that God is always seeing us? And, mm-hmm. And all of the secret things will be made to light. And right. so like that's the exact same thing that we're talking about is, is we have to remember that even when no, no human person is watching us, that we're still in the, the sight of God. And as much as we want to pretend that we're not hypocrites, um, we can fool ourselves. We can't fool God. And I think that's right. the key to remember to like to overcoming hypocrisy as much as we can and gaining victory over it is recognizing that no matter who we fool, we're still never fooling the God of the universe. Right. That's well said. That sounds like a really interesting parallel actually. Yeah. It's a, it, I mean, the movie was great in, in a lot of ways. Um, like I said, it's kind of a big fanny smack uh, to Facebook because it's basically saying like, well, Facebook is going to become this giant company that controls all the data and eliminates privacy. Um, I don't, I don't think Facebook's going to be, but um, it, it was a good movie. I, I'd recommend it. It was, it was fair. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, there is a social component to all this, of course, especially right. in, the, in the media, how we present ourselves. And what you said was kind of fascinating in the sense of, I, I never thought about, well, if you present yourself, so you can present yourself in a good light or a bad light or some kind of mediocre light, but right. anytime that you're not being as truthful as you ought to be uh, is, I guess, hypocrisy. Yeah. And I mean, you're not on Facebook really. So like you don't see, but when you see someone post something that's like raw, like real, it kind of like, you're kind of like, what, why would you do that? You know, like I have, I have a friend from high school that's constantly posting like really negative things about their life, like really raw, real things that are terrible in their life. And they're posting it on Facebook. And I feel like at first I'm kind of like, why would you share that with the whole world? But I think it's more that Facebook, Instagram, all these different social media networks is building a context where we present a, a version of ourselves that's not really who we are. You know, we, we present the perfect sunset, but we don't we don't present the, you know, seven other or six other nights of the week where the sunset is just it's there and we don't even notice it. But that one sunset where we present the perfect meal 
that we cooked and we it looks beautiful, but we don't present the plate of macaroni and cheese and bologna that we had the night before, like the just everyday ho-hum meal. Um, and I think that gets to like the heart of hypocrisy too, is like we, we want to present this face that isn't our real face. And mm-hmm. getting getting past that desire, I think, is is really difficult. Um, I don't know how we do it other than just dependence on the Holy Spirit and and trusting him to sanctify us as we grow closer to Christ. Yeah, and there is definitely a need in this particular area, especially for us to reach out to others. I mean, marriage is like a really good petri dish for that to happen. But if you're not married, it really doesn't matter because this this still should be a place where we're going to others in the church and following that Pauline example of confessing our sins. Right. And I think part of that is is just trying to say, which which again is a really tough, a tough question, where in my life do you see some big inconsistencies? And I think you're right. It's probably not that people would say, well, I just can't think of any right now. It's yeah. probably more like you best be ready because yeah. it's going to be go time if yeah. you ask somebody to do that for you. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a brave thing. But I mean, it's oftentimes where I struggle quite honestly is, you know, it's easy to say it's appropriate to confess Jesus as Lord in the assembly of the saints, but it's even more appropriate to confess Jesus as Lord before men. Right. So, you know, like even if, you know, sometimes it'll happen where, you know, I'm at, I'm at work, we're having a conversation with people and something comes up. And if you're like me, you kind of sense that conviction from the spirit that you should speak into this conversation now. Yeah. And I'll be thinking, Lord, I'm just passing through this conversation. Like, I don't want any trouble. <laughs> I was just going from point A to point B, and this interrupted that process. And really, this is where I, I feel like I've got to speak in and either correct something or bring to bear the Christian worldview into the conversation. That would be totally right. appropriate. And I realize when I don't do that, then, you know, a, a Christian who cannot make a profession of the supremacy of Jesus or, or, or only makes one when it was safe is really to deny his lordship and sovereignty over all things. And so it is for me like a theological issue that hypocrisy can be denying God's sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah, it really can. And, um, you know, I think we, we should probably try to turn the corner a little bit here and, and figure out what do we do about it. But I just think it, you know, it's something that most Christians don't want to admit that they're hypocrites. Right. Um, and I, I'm not a hundred percent sure why that is beyond like, we don't want to admit anything negative about ourselves in general. Like that's our sinful flesh still kind of clinging on is we don't want to be honest about our frailty and our weakness. But I think there is something particular about the fact that hypocrisy is such a damaging thing to the gospel in terms of um, how we interact with unbelievers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think because of that, we almost need to like confront it like head on. We need to not right. shy away from it the way that we usually do. And in my experience with my like my coworkers, um, I try to be very honest with them. Like when I know that I've been a hypocrite, I try to come forward and say, you know what, I did this thing the other day, or I behaved in this way, or I made this comment in this meeting, and it was really unkind, and I'm really sorry because that's not who I am, and that's not who I want you to think that I am. Um, but I'm not perfect and I'm still growing and I'm still like developing in my faith. Um, and you know, sometimes they look at you and they kind of roll their eyes. Like, why would you bother to tell me that? Um, but the, the, the beauty of that though, is that they can't then turn around even in their own mind. They can't really turn around and say, man, that guy's such a hypocrite because what you're doing is you're taking that power away. You're taking that power away by saying, 
I recognize this 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 discord between who I am and what I'm presenting to the world. And I'm acknowledging that because I want you to know who I am, not who I appear to be. And and the goal is obviously that as you do that, who you are and who you appear to be becomes closer and closer and closer and overlaps more and more and more. Hmm. It's a strange it's a strange sin to talk about because again, even all people are hypocritical about certain things. But again, it's funny how, just like you said in your example there, that it's it's people who know us as to be Christians or to at least be professing Christians are quick to use that word, but they might not use it about themselves or somebody right. else. And that even that is hypocritical. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this weird kind of cycle and spiral of being hypocritical about different things. But I like the idea of saying, admitting up to that, kind of fessing up to that just from the the start, especially when you've done something wrong. And using that word, I think, is powerful in your apology or in your asking of forgiveness. Right. To express that you realized that what happened caused there to be a divorce and you want to reconcile that and explain that you saw it with your own eyes and we're going to move forward through that. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are some other ways that, in your mind at least, that we can kind of, uh, on this journey, like be people that are less hypocritical? I mean, it seems so elementary, but pray about it. Like pray that God would reveal the hypocrisy in your life and that he would do something about it. Um, You know, God wants to give his children good gifts and the gift of sanctification is the best gift that I can think of apart from, you know, our justification itself is the idea that Christ isn't going to justify us just to leave us where we are. Um, But God still uses means. So even though we we are assured that our sanctification is, is uh, secure and will happen, uh, we still need to be praying about it because that prayer is often the means by which God sanctifies us. So, you know, if, if I wake up and I pray and I say, God, I don't want to be a hypocrite today. And these are the ways that I recognize my own hypocrisy in the last week. Please help me with A, B, C, and D. Uh, just from a pragmatic standpoint, you've now brought that to mind. So apart mm-hmm. from the efficacy of prayer, which we obviously affirm, there's a there's a mental exercise involved in that as well, that it's now brought to mind. You're now more aware of it. Um, and I think just praying about a sin is the best first step in any case. Right. I like that a lot because I've been praying in addition to that, that God, this may be a weird prayer, so that but that God would develop in me or rise in me heavenly and godly affections toward himself. Yeah. Because... What I see in the Pharisees is they knew uh, what they knew about God was disconnected from how they felt about God, and that led them to be to move even further from Him. Yeah. So I don't want Jesus to be a part-time savior who just like occasionally enters my consciousness. If He is this all-consuming passion that burns from the heart of the redeemed and engulfs every aspect of our lives, there should be a felt allegiance, a felt relationship there. Yeah. Again, experiencing that power in in my real life. And I want that because I think it will inspire me to live out that relationship with greater love and kind of viciousness against sin and hypocrisy. In some ways, I think all sin is hypocrisy yeah. because it's it's basically a statement of I'm confessing this, but living this other way. Yep. So I think you're right. But again, that's at least for me, I will confess that I don't often pray that way where I just say, you know, righteous God, I have been hypocritical today in ways that I can see. But there's probably plenty of ways that I haven't. Will you make me aware of those things? Because that's just a scary thing to pray. But it's almost, it's definitely aligning yourself with God's will. Because one, like you said, God's will in the scripture clearly said is for our sanctification. Yep. 
And then the second thing is if, if Jesus is saying, listen, everything is going to be made to bear, brought to light. I almost would rather say, kind of like Spurgeon said, like, keep short accounts with God. I'll bring it to light today. Let me bring it to light to you right yeah, now. Exactly. Let's put it out in the open so that we can shine it and we can heal it and we can move forward. So, uh, yeah, prayer is, that's right on. That's a really good one. But it sounds like what you're saying is like, we need to learn to pray in a specific way, not just like summary cursory prayers, but right. really get after the business of it with God through prayer. Yeah. And I think as I've grown in my faith, my prayers have become more and more specific. Um, you know, it's it, that's not to say that like there aren't times where you're busy or you're distracted and you you pray because you know you're supposed to and you pray kind of a generic prayer. And and there's not anything wrong with a generic prayer, right? Christ right, gave us a, a model prayer to use and it's perfectly fine to pray the Lord's Prayer because you you don't have other thoughts that you want to contribute or, you know, you're having a bad day or whatever. But as I've grown um, in my faith, my prayers have become more and more specific. They've become more specific in terms of praying for specific people, for praying for specific situations, for keeping a mental tally and a mental journal of things to pray for. Um, And I think that that can go a long way too is, like I said, hypocrisy is kind of a sin of it's a sin of pride in one level, but it's also a sin of kind of a lack of self-awareness in the other. And so having a habit of regular prayer in which you not only petition God, but you confess your sins and you bring to bear your sins before God, you bring them into the light, even into the light of your own consciousness of taking a little time and reviewing the day before and thinking through and saying, what happened yesterday? What went well? What didn't go well? What did I struggle with? What would I do differently? What sins did I commit that I want to work on? Right. That's right. I mean, this, this is why the gospel is like really good news every day over and over again, not just in the sense that it's novel or it's in vogue or, you know, today I, I can put a little different spin on it and I'll feel really good because I feel like I have something fresh to start with. Right. But that there's always room and always space and always new light shining in places that at one point would have seen like totally, totally blinding. And not just in the way that like I realize that there are things I, I shouldn't do or maybe I should work on this. I'm talking about like, so I mean, you've seen American Idol, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? Which, yeah. by the way, did you hear they're bringing that back? Really? Yeah. There's like oh, a yeah. thousand singing shows. What's the point of that? I don't know. They are gonna. They said it was cut short. It's not going to be on the same network. I forget which network it's going to be on, but it's coming back. Yeah. Um, but here's what always blew me away about that show. So, you know, like the first several episodes of every season where yeah. it was just the tryouts. And like, if you were like me, you just watch because i didn't really watch the show but i would occasionally catch some of those initial episodes because it was right. just like straight train wreck yep and that's the point of the first few episodes yeah exactly it's it's basically just to humiliate people on national television um but the thing that i always found like so remarkable about those shows is inevitably somebody would walk in before the judges and they'd have to do some quick banter and then one of the judges would say are you the next american idol and this person like with what I believe was like sincere amount of confidence would say, absolutely. And then they would open their mouth to sing and it sounded like somebody was strangling a whistle pig. Yeah. It it was horrendous. Yeah. And it always amazed me that this person was like so tone deaf or that there was nobody else in their life that was like, listen, like pulled them aside and was like, I, you really do not want to do this. Right. Right. (laughs) And yet like with I'm gathering from what you're saying is that's exactly how we are as natural people. 
Yeah. Uh, it's it, We're totally tone deaf to the kingdom of God. We're blind to it. We cannot see it. We cannot hear it without him. And so I guess the first place to start to fight hypocrisy is to actually cry out on our knees to God and say, will you please help me hear my own voice? Yeah. Because I may be singing so out of tune and I can't even tell. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of as a uh, sort of an aside, hypocrisy can be, it's almost like, you know, like a flip side of hypocrisy is it can be a useful evangelistic tool. And the reason for that is that, you know, there's there's the way of the master, you bring them through the Ten Commandments, you show them the depth of their sinfulness. And part of the part of the benefit of that is that you're rooting yourself in God's word, obviously. And people usually are okay, you know, acknowledging that they are liars and that they they've stolen and those things. But you don't even have to get that far because you can just say, Do you have any moral standards that you have not lived up to in your life? And every single person, if they're being honest, is gonna say, Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I tell people it's bad to lie and I do it myself or, you know, I, I tell people that you should be kind and generous and I'm not. Um, and so you can use that to say like, well, if you can't even live up to your own standards, then how could you possibly imagine that you're going to live up to a righteous God's standards who created all things and is perfectly holy? Um, and that doesn't always, you know, it's not like people are immediately like, oh, I'm such a sinner, but like it, it opens a door to say, we all recognize that we don't live up to moral standards. No matter what the moral standard is, we don't live up to it. And um, I just think that that can be helpful in those kinds of conversations. And it's kind of the flip side of what the what the atheist is seeing or what the non-believer is saying when they point at us and say, see, you don't really believe this. You can also point back at them and say, well, you don't really believe that there are no moral standards either because you just said you don't live up to your own. So that's just kind of an aside to think about in in this area is that hypocrisy can be a double-edged sword. As much as it can hurt the gospel, it can also be used, the the hypocrisy that's sort of inherent in all people can also be used as an entry point for the gospel as well. And here's why I think that's so important, because I'm sometimes concerned, like, why would our churches generally, like writ large, attract like conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people? I mean, the church should be... I'm with among the people gathered there, like a complete mess, honestly, because yeah. it is people who are absolutely broken that are struggling with these things, but doing so in a way that's open so that they can be healed. But I do worry if, you know, we're attracting just kind of this moralistic crowd or this kind of feel good, seeker sensitive. I just want to have a sense that when I leave the pew or the chair or whatever it is that I'm loved by God and I'm a better person because he values me. All those things are true, but there is so much more that he wants from us. And really the good life, the abundant life, the high life, not the Miller high life, but the high <laughs> life is the sanctified life. Right. The one that God wants to bring to us. But we can't do that without really exposing, like you said, that we are all in this battle. That's what's really unique. Like, you know, we can talk about different sins as we have the things that we struggle with or we know other people to struggle with. And whenever you have those conversations, inevitably they'll fall flat for some people because they're not tempted in the same way. Right. But this is something that we all struggle with. It just takes kind of different nuances, but it's something that we all have to battle. And the church should be welcoming messy people um, because really we all are deep down. We All we're doing is just in our hypocritical nature, putting on masks that show that we or present that we're less messy than we really are. Right. But we're just hiding it from ourselves, Yeah. Uh, certainly not from God. And we're not promoting sanctification by doing that. Yeah, and usually we're not even hiding it all that well from the people around us. That's a good point. The only person we usually fool with our hypocrisy is ourselves. 
So yeah. that there's really no, I mean, you know, the scriptures say that sin is enjoyable for a season, but it leads to death. Hypocrisy is not even enjoyable for a season. It, it's just straight up self-deception and it has no, um, value is not the right word, but I can't think of a, a better one. It has no, like, it's no benefit. immediate benefit or value is it. It's just a way to, I mean, it's just hiding who you are. Right. I mean, hypocrites by nature cover their sin instead of confessing and repenting. And that's right. something that we've all done. I've certainly done that. And so like when we, when we look at like Matthew 23 again, because I love these words. And I think part of the reason just straight up why I love these chapters so much is because it shows our Savior Jesus as zealous right. and agitated and getting after it. Yeah. And if you're like me, you read that, you're like, yeah, get him, Jesus. Like, get on that. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, once you put the Bible away and think for a second, you're like, wait a second. Yep. <laughs> that that yeah, is what also is it? me. Is that Paul Washer who was, was given some some presentation? I think it was at like the SBC conference or something. And everybody's clapping because he's, he's railing on sin. And he just stops and he goes, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. And yeah, like the room heavy. goes silent. And that like that's it. It's like we come to the scripture, we read the scripture, and we we sort of like impose ourselves as arbiters of the scriptures. Like we assess the scriptures. But it's in those moments where you look at the text and you realize you're you're not you're not the one cleaning out the temple. You're the one being right. chased out of the temple. You're the right. one that's defaming God's name and his house. Um and that's I mean, that's pretty heavy. It is heavy. I mean, it's not without its fear of blessing that comes from being accepted in the sun, but it first starts with that. So right. I really like that because what I wanted to say was sometimes in reform circles, especially what you're talking about with the online environment and debating, that one of the things I think hypocrites are really good at is keeping people from Jesus and his grace. Yeah, and you know, one of be. my favorite passages in Matthew 23 is that quote from Jesus. So let, let me read it because I, I do really love this. So this is what he says to the Pharisees. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter it to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Yeah. My goodness, that is so heavy. And I think that is the challenge, even as we debate and talk about theological matters with each other, that we're not doing this kind of thing. Right. Either like overtly or like by intimation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can get lost in um, in our zeal to share our theological position. Um, and that's not to say, you know, I want to be careful because... I can already see the people who are writing me and quoting that Charles Spurgeon thing that just says Calvinism simply is the gospel. Right. I get that. And I agree. Like the, me the, too. the Calvinist soteriology is what the Bible teaches. And so anything, anything short of that is, is short of the gospel. But at the same time, we have to be careful to recognize that we are saved uh, by grace through faith not through believing in justification alone or by believing in sola scriptura. And so we have to be careful that we're not working so hard to make theological, um, to, you know, to be fruitful and multiply our own theological images. Instead, we want to be fruitful and multiply in terms of spreading the gospel and making new converts. 
And those converts are not always going to be converts who become Calvinists. And that's okay. Like, that's totally right. fine. I, you know, obviously I would rather everybody comes to what I believe is the most fully orbed, comprehensive, robust understanding of not only the gospel, but of who God is and, and how he saves his people and how he punishes sin, all of that stuff. But if I have to settle for, for somebody who trusts Jesus to save them, and that's, that's the furthest they ever get and everything else is wrong, um, I'll settle for that. And I'll rejoice over that. And, and in the end of the day, and I mean like in the end, end, end of the last days, all of our theology will be brought to bear and all of our theology will be corrected because none of us has it completely right. And I think, I think people who hold to a Calvinist theology have more of it right than people who hold to an Arminian theology. But I, I know there's going to be things when I get to heaven that. Jesus chuckles and says, let me tell you the real truth, <laughs> right? Let, let me explain to you what actually is going on with this passage. Um, and, and that's not just obviously like, I don't know what those things are. If I knew where I was wrong, I would correct my theology. Right. Uh, but, but we have to be willing to recognize that there are things that are involved in the proclamation of the gospel and results that obtain that are not, not going to be what we want, but we should want them. And that's kind of the point is like, we should, we should rejoice when someone comes to faith, even if it's not the same flavor of Christianity that we believe is the best. Right. And all those essentials, we're saying we want there to be charity on those open-handed issues. And that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the Christian, it's great that God has provided everything we need to live in a way that displaces the controlling principles with liberating power of the gospel. So I guess in a real way, our hearts are set free from like a slavish hypocritical heart to live and move in the rhythms of grace because the king has taken occupancy on the throne of our lives. But it yeah. is important that we continue to submit to him through prayer, through practice, through serving, through loving others in such a way that we start to eradicate all the hypocritical nature that we have left over. I mean, we'll, we'll never get there, but I mean, I think it's important for us to kind of end in this way of saying it's great that what we once kept hidden in the secret recesses of our hearts God has made known so that the, our identity can rest securely, not in our pretending, but in Christ's performance on our behalf. Yeah, And that does always uplift me when I consider the fact that I still have a long, long way to go. But it's good that like as brothers like you and I and others, we can stand shoulder to shoulder in that. And it's always good to have a partner who you can say like, I'm willing for you to, to rebuke me. Like David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, talks about a rebuke as being one of those habits, which is a little bit off the beaten path because it's strange something we're not used to hearing. Yeah. But uh, I've tried to do that with some good friends of mine say like, you have full permission to just rebuke me. And I want, I want to say to you that I'm going to always take that as best as I can. But by me acknowledging it now, it's my way of saying I'm committed to it. And even committed to you saying like, you need to take this better than you're receiving it right, right. now. Yeah. But it, it's opening up, which is, is hard, but I would encourage everybody to try to find somebody with whom they can do that. I think it's, of course, it should start with your spouse, but I think it should even be broader than that. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, one of the most beautiful promises of the scriptures is, you know, Romans 8. We, we talk about this golden chain of salvation. And uh, what we don't often recognize is that, you know, for those he foreknew, he also called. And for those he called or for those he foreknew, he also predestined. But mm. what did he predestine to? He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son so that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. And, you know, as we, we kind of wrap this to a close, uh, honestly, this, you know, usually we try to end our episodes on a high note, but I feel like we're kind of like 
sort of stuck and like, well, what do we do? And the answer is like, (laughs) I don't really know what we do. Um, We pray. We pray and we trust that Christ is going to do what he's promised by the presence of his spirit. And what he's promised is that we will be conformed to the only man who's ever lived who wasn't a hypocrite. Amen. And that's, I mean, that's the gospel in this conversation is that we don't have an answer to solve the problem. Right. I mean, pray, pray and hope God does something like that's, that's all we got for you. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's not us. We don't have to give you the answer because Christ is the answer and he's predestined us to be brought into his image. And that image is a glorious image. And that's why the end of that chain ends with glorification, because as we're conformed to his image, as we're made more and more like him until finally all of the garbage in our life is burned away. And, and we're made whole and new and made into his image. That is our glory, that we are the image of Christ. Not that we're some, you know, amazing version of ourselves. No, we ourselves, not in like a weird Eastern lack of identity way, but like ourselves disappear and we become the image of Jesus. And I mean, I can't, I can't ask for anything better than that. That was beautiful. I know what I love. I would love to hear from like people who are listening, either their experience with hypocrisy, maybe what they've done, some practices they put in place, or even like just testimonies. Like we're about to have a church service up in here. But I mean, <laughs> if, if you've got something, honestly, the Lord's done something in your life with this particular thing and you just want to share because I think there's great edification, that kind of stuff. I mean, what are the best ways, Tony, that people can get in touch with us? Sure. So we have our voicemail line at 607-444-2767. That's 607-444-BROS. And we would love to have voicemails uh, on there. If Since this is kind of a sensitive subject and you maybe want to share with us, but you don't want us to put it on the the show, um, we if you tell us on the voicemail that you don't want it to be on the show, then we won't put it on the show. If you don't say, please don't play this on the show, then it's fair game. Um, if you want us to mask your voice, I just learned this week how to make people sound like Darth Vader by using Audacity. <laughs> so I will be happy will be to using that. <laughs> apply some sort of voice filter to you to mask your identity if you'd like. Um, you can also uh, find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and we also have a group. Um, you can just look up Reform Brotherhood. You can tweet at us at Reform Brohood, uh, or you can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com. And I think Get that's at it. us. Get yeah. at us. We're basically everywhere, even Google Play. Even Google Google Play and Google Plus. And Google Plus. That's right. I forgot. Both uh, and and also speaking of Google Play, uh, if you could go to iTunes, which is now called Apple Podcasts, did you hear about that? They made this big deal about changing the name of it from no. iTunes to Apple Podcasts. Yeah, if you could go to Apple Podcasts, uh, or well, if you're like the rest cool. of the world, just say iTunes um, and give us a five star rating. We would much appreciate that. It helps people find the show. Uh, it helps us know that we are hitting the needs that our audience wants us to hit, um, and it makes us feel great about ourselves. Yeah, and who wouldn't love that after this? Really depressing. Conversation. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> so do you have any closing thoughts, Tony, on the subject of hypocrisy? I mean, other than like, don't be a hypocrite. I'm not sure what else there is to say about this. I mean, it, it, I don't want to leave the impression that this is just to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But at the end of the day, I think we have to just sort of recognize that sometimes there aren't gimmicks to solve the problem. Sometimes solving yeah, well the problem said. just starts with solving the problem. And, um, you know, there are first steps, but there's no trick. There's no, um, there's no app you can put on your phone. There's no hypocrisy detector that you can install on your Fitbit. Um, it's just a matter of becoming self-aware of what you're doing 
and, um, and, and trusting the people in your life to help you with that process and ultimately recognizing that as hard as you can try and as much progress as you may make, you, you can't do it. And you have to just trust God that he's going to accomplish what he has um, promised to accomplish. Amen. That is so good. Especially the part about the hypocrisy, like thing on your detector. <laughs> I mean, it detects when I sleep now. Have you, do you still have a Fitbit? Yeah. The Fitbit I have, it actually like not only tracks your sleep, but it tracks what stage of sleep you're in. Wait, seriously? What kind of Fitbit do you have? I have the Charge 2, I think. Oh, do you like it? Yeah. I mean, it it's it's a Fitbit. So like, you know, it's one of those things you buy and you think it's going to like change your life and then it doesn't do anything except give you useless information. But man, that um, is also testimony for the gospel. That's not true, though, because this one actually uh, it's not true that it gives you useless information. It may be a testimony for the gospel. Um, <laughs> this one, actually, you can set it to give you reminders to like buzz if you haven't moved in a certain amount of time. So that's kind of useful. OK, that's helpful. I've been looking at that one. So I have just like the original charge HR. Yeah, I do have one recommendation, though. I have one too, so go ahead. It's probably the same recommendation since we talked about this before the show. Oh well, I will change mine if it, if you're, it is the same. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Jesse and I use a website uh, to synchronize <laughs> when we're going to start recording, and this website this is going to sound super nerdy, but this website is called timeanddate.com. So and good. I cannot even explain how many amazing features this website has. So when you go to the homepage, it's got like a timer, like a clock with a second hand, a digital clock with a second thing on it. And we just use it. So we push record at the same time, but you can print out like custom uh, templates for calendars. You can print out all sorts of stuff. There's a date to date calculator. So if you want to figure out the number of days between May 3rd of 1973 and March 27th of 2000, <laughs> 27 you could calculate that now i can't even imagine i'm sure some math genius is like in their head is like "Hmm," and like they just did the math in their head but i can't even imagine trying to do that kind of math so check it out i mean there's not much in terms of like gospel productivity that you're going to get out of this web page but it's got some useful tools it's pretty awesome i know you're sitting there listening to this thinking i can't believe both these guys are this stoked about a website that's named timeanddate.com and just has to do with time and dates. But I'm telling you, go to it. There's so many useful things. You will love it. That was my reco, but I'll do another one. So because we were just talking about something that was a little bit heavy and we might need a little bit of inspiration at this point, I want to recommend a band and the band is called Rival Choir and they have a new album. They used to be called, this is one of the best band names ever, Mouth of the South, but now they're Rival Choir. But this is a fantastic Christian band. They have a new album called I Believe Help My Unbelief. But it's it's inspirational music. But I have to give this warning. And that is I listen to a lot of music that's of the harder variety with screaming. And this is that kind of music. So in my household, uh, my wife is not a fan of this kind of music. So we have what we've deemed the strict no screaming music policy when she is at home. But when I'm alone or in the car, it's all fair game. So if you have that kind of arrangement or you just love to listen to some music that's going to get you fired up, like the spirit's going to come in because the lyrics are outstanding and the music is super strong. It's awesome. Look up rival choir. I believe help my unbelief. It'll definitely inspire you a bit. All right. Well, that should just do it. Um, you'll want to tune in next week because we have a special surprise. I will be traveling. So Jesse's going to have a surprise uh, co-host. Surprise guest. Surprise guest co-host. So check it out. Um, we look forward to that. And uh, I will see you in two weeks, but Jesse will see you next week. 
Until next week, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Sounds good. Well, until next week, honor everyone. I forgot the line. (laughs) 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 Let's try that again. Best closing ever. Best closing ever. Let's try that again.